Welcome to the Biz Dad Podcast, where we dive into the melding of fathership and entrepreneurship with your host, the original Biz Dad himself, Adam Labar. Adam is a Christian, a former Air Force officer, a dad to three amazing kids, a coach, a real estate investor, and a business owner. On this podcast, he'll explore the unique journeys of amazing dads who are striving for greatness in both business and family. So whether you're a dad who is an aspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business owner, or simply a man striving to be a better dad, get ready as the Biz Dad brings you conversations to inspire, challenge, and equip you to be a better dad and entrepreneur. And now, here's Adam. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Biz Dad Podcast. Today, we have uh, AJ Anderson on the podcast. Looking forward to getting into his story. Um, I was giving him a hard time right before we started that uh, it was the longest bio I've ever received, but I think it's going to be fun to kind of go through some of that and, uh, and chat about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a fellow business owner, of course, and dad, uh, hence he's on the Biz Dad Podcast. So uh, AJ, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us about uh, your family um, and your business, and then we'll kind of go from there. Well, first off, I appreciate it. Thank you for, for giving me the opportunity. Um, yeah, so I'm a 38-year-old young man from northern Wisconsin, uh, currently living in Nashville, Tennessee, with uh, my wife of uh, seven years, I think, this this September. <laughs> Hopefully she's not uh, listening and going, yeah. yeah. Well, I met her 10 years ago. It's our 10-year anniversary of meeting. Uh, we have a uh, year-and-a-half-year-old daughter, a uh, year-and-a-half year and a half old. That's the one yeah. um, uh, who we, we lived in LA for 10 years and she was born in LA and then we moved to Nashville and um, living happily in Nashville, a uh, beautiful area. Um, I started, I worked in the automotive industry pretty much my, my whole career um, starting with an energy drink from Coca, Coca-Cola owned um, running the marketing in the Midwest to managing race car drivers to working for large wheel corporations owned by private equity. Um, And in 2017, I believe it was, I found myself at a PR agency in LA uh, helping them build out their digital business unit. Basically, how can we, you know, leverage um, new uh, capabilities to get additional funds out of clients, Uh, digital advertising and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, so I built that for a year, and at the end of the year, um, some other things happened. But basically, I was like, well, I just should just go do this for myself. I'm making no. too much of money. It's my skill sets, my capabilities, all that stuff. So I ended up leaving. 2018, I started Wild Lives Media. And uh, yeah, we, we primarily started as a social media agency and quickly realized that if I could take your $1,000 and give you 4000 back um, from an advertising perspective on a month, it became a lot easier to get clients mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to just saying, your brand's going to look cool on social. You're going to have a yeah. lot of impressions, um, right? We operate in a world of money. So um, started leaning into that. And you know, today we have between a team in the US and a team in Canada, we have about 14, 15 employees, 26 27 clients or so. Um, we'll do about a million and a half this year in revenue uh, for ourselves and probably 30 to 40 million for clients, anyways, client revenue. So, wow. um, yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride for sure. Most of the growth came in November, December, January of this last year, 22 to 23. Things just okay. really exploded. So, 
that's that's what the conversation we were having before the, the recording is just kind of holding on for dear life with uh, oh, yeah. with uh, fatherhood and same with this it's like learning as you go how can you make it all happen yeah completely and i mean honestly fatherhood and business it seems like you learn as you go the entire time like there's no <laughs> i mean it uh, I'm only quote unquote eight years into being a dad, but still, you know, like I tell my son all the time, I'm like, well, I've never been the dad of an eight year old before. So I'm learning how to do this. And then when you turn yeah. nine, guess what? That'll be the first time I've been a dad to a nine year old. So I <laughs> have to learn how to do that too. You know, yeah. and then when you add other yeah. kids into the mix, it makes it even more interesting. So are you planning on having other kids too? Or is this, uh, yeah. you looking at an only child type of thing? You know, I thought it was, at first I thought, yeah, we're going to have a couple of kids. And then we had the one kid. I'm like, Jesus, I don't know, maybe just the one, you know? <laughs> and then lately, she, she's been getting a little easier. And I'm like, well, maybe. You know, I was thinking about it was my selfishness that I only wanted the one. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm thinking, well, you see the, the siblings and, you know, and just bringing another beautiful person into the world and raising them the right way and the things that they can do. I'm like, this is really selfish of me to only want to deal with one. Yeah. Whereas they could just have such an impact on the people around them. So we are thinking a second potentially in the near nice. future. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We're, uh, we were, I told my wife, I said, I'd have seven if you'd let me have seven. But I said, <laughs> but you, you control that factory, dear. You let me know when the factory doors are shut. Oh, see, I told you right before we started, I said, the boys are going to want to do a cameo. And now they're here knocking at the door <laughs> with smiles on their faces. I knew they were going to come on, come on, come in and say hi. Said. You have like an on-air sign. Yeah. yeah, I need to get an on-air sign. What's up, boys? So these going, are the guys? boys. Oh, he said, how are you guys? Yeah. So this is Adam, <laughs> and this is Rourke. Rourke is throwing on the floor. Oh, man. All right. So you guys, cute. You guys want to say hi to everybody? Hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be very quiet on the recording, yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, you guys get out of here. Let me finish chatting, okay? <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you. Oh, and now they're fighting on the way out the door. Fantastic. Oh, Perfect. All right. Perfect. Out the door, boys. <laughs> so that was one of those things that I had a feeling was going to happen just because we were talking about it, right? But um, I tell people all the time, I said, look, if the kids show up in the middle of a meeting, then that's the joys of being a dad at home working, you know, working, a, working from home. So exactly. to me, that's a joy. If you don't like it, that's all right. Hang up the meeting. That's yeah. <laughs> it is total, what it is. So. Total joy. Total joy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, the, back to the amount of kids. So I think we're done at three. My wife said no more after 40. So, um, so we're, we're all set, but, uh, I'm telling you like the, the first one does take a little bit to get used to. Like for me, I don't know, good or bad. I think honestly, it's, it's more bad than good, but my wife and I were both military at the time and stationed at two different bases when we had our first kid. So I was two hours away. So I, I would have to drive home every Friday after work. I would drive home spend the weekend and then drive back Monday morning to go back to work. Um, So I missed a lot of that. And then I was deployed in Africa for the first birthday. So I had to do like the zoom birthday or the FaceTime birthday party type of thing, you know? So, um, there's a lot involved in all of that first year and a half that, that was a little nuts, but it's, like watching the two of them together as you just saw like they they absolutely love each other they love playing with each other all the time and now their little sister you know is uh is like the world to them so um it is a lot of fun when you have multiples running around the house yeah. doing their thing it it is a little overwhelming <laughs> i hear you it can be a yeah, little overwhelming that's what, from time I, that's to time. what I hear but, yeah. but honestly <clears throat> like you said re- like if you have the goal of raising children who are going to be a net good for society um, I see plenty of people who have, you know, 
five, six kids that are not going to be a net good for society mm-hmm. or that if they continue down the path, let me rephrase that. If they continue down the path that they're given, they're not going to be a net good for society. But if I, if we can produce kids that are a net good for society, I think, I mean, the more the merrier to me, you know, it, it just, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, so all that yeah, said, yeah. get off the podcast, go work on baby number two. And then what? <laughs> well, and I was going to say, like, similar to starting a business, right? You have, you know, well, depending on the business you're in, you have some hard years, right? Some, yeah. some uh, uh, sacrifices you make, the 15-hour, 16-hour days, the, mm-hmm. the late nights, early mornings, the stress. Um, but hopefully, you know, that's somewhat temporary anyways as you build yeah. things and you, you gain speed and same same with children, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's okay. what I, I I I kind of equate my kids to my uh, extra businesses, right? So because I'm kind of the CEO of their business, of, yeah. you know, they're they're the business and I'm the CEO of it. And my goal is within those 18 years, I get to be promoted to a board of advisors, where now I, like the business is running by itself, it's off doing its own thing. They become their own CEO. I've I've hired that job out now, and I get to hang back and just be on the phone if they need something as a board of advisors. So that's kind of the the role that I'm taking now is going to be the CEO and um, CEO, COO with my wife and just kind of let it run its course and do the hectic stuff that happens when running businesses and running, uh, running a household. So, but yeah, I want to yeah, trade at some for the point world. there you become the CFO, right? Or at least the PE where they're asking oh, for money. Gracious. Boy, I hope not. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be their PE. I'll be, I'll be a CFO for a little bit. I'll help them kind of run their finances, <laughs> but man, oh man, I will not be private equity. Deck, no. Oh man. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, kind of you, uh, you growing up. Um, you know your your uh, your situation with your your dad, um, and just learn a little bit about some yeah. of your background. Sure. Yeah, uh, my situation was kind of bizarre. It's probably not unlike a lot of people's situations, but uh, you know, I was born out of wedlock. Uh, my mother met a man who promised her the world and turns out he had another family and uh, you know, he was going to leave them for her, blah, blah, blah. never happened. So, you know, I, I probably remember five instances of ever even being around my dad, probably. <laughs> yeah, he's back. Uh, yeah. And, you know, so and then for a few years, he would send, you know, money on birthdays and Christmases, but that's mm-hmm. pretty much it, you know? So I wouldn't say I had like a super, I didn't have any like, you know, crazy instances with him or like yeah. fallouts or any, any like sort of abu- abuse or anything just wasn't there, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, that's fine. You know, I had the opportunity to, to reconnect with him, uh, a while ago and I chose not to, yeah. um, I just thought, you know, my the memories that I had were probably, you know, fine, fine enough. <laughs> and then uh, my mother met my stepfather when I was nine or so, and he was a Vietnam vet. He had pretty extensive PTSD, and uh, it was <laughs> some life lessons. Um, yeah, and some cool stuff came along with that, um, but also, like, really, really tough. It was tough. From nine to when I left at 18 for college, you know, he was just, we just did not get along, you know, never, never any like, you know, physical abuse or anything, but just, I just stayed clear of him. You know, if he was upstairs, Mm -hmm. I would go downstairs and it was just not a great way to grow up, honestly. Um, But my mom mom was cool. And then my, my sister was uh, quite a bit older. So when I was younger, she kind of raised me. 
Uh, and then my grandparents as well. Like I would spend a lot of time with my grandpa and grandma. We're very like salt of the earth, genuine, honest people. My grandpa ran a plumbing business that my grandpa also worked for. So, yeah, I mean, I just kind of, it was just a lot of voids, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, I had to fill. You know, I got really into BMX and snowboarding and, you know, independent sports. I spent a lot of time skipping school to go snowboarding, go on trips with friends, riding BMX. You know, I got to kind of travel the, the country and the world doing that um, and just kind of learn things my own way, honestly. And that's really how I've kind of applied everything to my life is I just need to, I need to learn it my own way at this point. Mm -hmm. Man, that's just, <clears throat> excuse me. That's uh, yeah. You know, as sadly as it is, you said at the beginning, it's not unlike some other people growing up. Yeah. Right. But it's, uh, it still breaks my heart every time to hear stories that, like that, right? And a, a kid growing up in a not uh, not great environment, and we see it all the time. I was in uh, federal law enforcement for a long time, so I got to see a lot of a lot of crazy things. And then, you know, doing—I mean, there's literally one case I, uh, where we took a, a sleeping child off of a pillow, and there was a loaded gun underneath it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't understand how how parents do things that they do. Um, but like what a blessing that it is that I didn't have a dad that did certain things, you know? And like, I look at your situation and go, I don't, you know, as uh, you, you've said no abuse or things like that, but it's like, man, like just to, just to not have a father around, like, how do you feel that like impacted you not having your, your, uh, your actual dad around? And then how did it impact you? You think um, having a, a stepfather around who was also not a, yeah. What seeming to be a, a great influence in your life at all. So, yeah. Um, you know, not having a dad around at, at this point in my life, I, you know, it's weird. Cause like maybe I need more therapy, but yeah, you know, I, I don't think it, you know, on the outset affected me, um, as much as it probably could have or should have, you know, I think mm -hmm. that I got on just fine. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's some deep rooted you know, things yeah. that I haven't uncovered yet, but, um, you know, I know a lot of people that had really bad dads growing up who were abusive or played games, you know, psychological games and stuff. And I think I'm, I was way better off just not having one around mm -hmm. than that, in my opinion. Um, but then, you know, my stepfather, um, he, I did learn a lot from, him. you know, I think he, he was, he meant well, he was very nice to my mother. Um, you know, I learned a lot of little things here and there, some of which we'll talk about, uh, as we get into the business side of things, but, um, it was just challenging. You know, I think it, it, that actually presented a lot of psychological things that I, you know, I'm still dealing with today, like mm -hmm. feeling like I need to, uh, tell white lies to just get out of situations, you know, like little things here and there that like, I just learned it growing up. So I wouldn't have to deal with someone who was ready to explode, like just start screaming at any second. Um, so I would just avoid a lot of things constantly, you know, mm -hmm. or I would do whatever I needed to do, right. To survive and get out of that situation. But, um, you know, I would also say though, that a lot of how I operate in terms of, March to my own um, drummer mm -hmm. uh, come from him as well, though. You know, I think he very much so, you know, he was in trouble with the law over the years and, and um, he very much so believed in like not uh, fully following something blindly just because it's a rule or law, but like, what's the reason behind it? Like, do I yeah. actually believe in that? Um, so, you know, things like <laughs> we would go 
he was a fishing guide in northern Wisconsin, so we would go fishing, and he never listened to the limits, you know, about you can only catch whatever, mm-hmm. 12 perch and three walleye or whatever. He would just do whatever he wanted, and there would be a lot of instances in which I'm getting in the truck, and he's arguing with the, the Department of Natural Resources officer that we're just taking off down the street while the guy's chasing, you know, like little things like that, you know, and I think that's had a positive effect on me because I just I really try to look at everything and like, is this... Like, why is this exist? Why does it mm-hmm. exist? Is that right or wrong? Should I push back on this? Should I, you know, of course they say no refunds for a flight cancellation, but if I push on them and explain why they're wrong, you know, then they'll yeah. refund me, you know, like little things like that are really kind of, I owe to him, I think. So, yeah. um, there's a lot there, both sides. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I think one thing that you said kind of stuck out to me was like you compared yourself to other people's experience <laughs> as opposed to just looking at your own, which I think a lot of us have a tendency to do anyways, right? Well, I'm better off than that person was. Um, uh, and uh, I, I love to push back a little bit on, <clears throat> on things like that because it's like, okay, well, that that's great. But where where could we still improve if we looked back on it and say, okay, well, because of these situations, I do these things that I don't like, like you met, which you went into later, right? Like the white lie type of thing. And you actually brought me to, um, I'm going to forget his name right now. Ah, Ed Milet. So Ed Milet talked about how when his dad would come home, um, he was, he was a drunk and he would come home and he was like, I, I had to learn how to read my dad. So I knew which dad I was talking to. Am I talking to the drunk dad or am I talking to the sober dad? Am I talking to the drunk dad to try to keep him away from the alcohol cabinet? Or am I talking to the sober? Like, what do I need to do in this situation? What things do I need to say in this situation to redirect what's going on? You know, and it, it kind yeah. of it, just figuring out how to take the pressure off of you or your siblings or your, your mom or whoever, you know, um, for whoever's listening, like whatever situation. Um, and uh, obviously not the most, healthy way to to work through things and you know it it's what you have to do in those situations but later on in life i couldn't imagine the the weight that kind of has but you know it makes me wonder now you know as i'm saying out loud like what do i do because of the things that i learned you know with with my dad so now i'm gonna have to do some self-reflection like you said maybe need some more therapy we'll see yeah and and oftentimes this stuff doesn't you know, become uncovered until you have, you know, additional, yeah. you know, issues down the road that cause you to think back or, or, or go to therapy, which is obviously a great tool um, to utilize. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's, it's, it's interesting to think about, right? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, the secret to the, I think it's secrets to the millionaire mind, or was it, uh, uh, no, it was, uh, Ah, I'm forgetting the name of the book right now, but I love it. Uh, I love the book. Can't remember it. So it, it like talking about how you think about money um, and where it comes from and why, why you think about it the way you do. But it, like I apply it a lot in other parts of my life. Like usually people th- use money the same way they saw their parents use money or the same way other people sure. around them have used money. It's just um, kind of how like if, if nobody taught you any different then you just, you know, whatever you caught growing up is how you do it. Um, mm-hmm. And I started to apply that a lot to the rest of my life too. Okay. What? Like, it was very eye-opening for me on why I did things the way I did with my money and why my wife did things the way she did. Cause she was a saver. Um, and I was a spender. Um, you know, she would just kind of hoard her money because her mom was born and raised in Cuba, you know? So she was just kind of raised like you, you, you save your money. You just, cause you never know what's going to happen. Right. Like you don't yeah, know when the yeah. government's going to take over and take, take control right. of those bank accounts. And I just saw my parents spend their, spend their money paycheck to paycheck. So I would, 
we could not have been much polar opposites on the financial side, but now thankfully she, she turned me around, but um, <laughs> looking at the same thing growing up and say, okay, well, how did I learn to do this thing as a dad? Or how did I learn to do, why is it that I react this way to my kids? And it goes back usually to how I saw my parents react to certain <laughs> things or how I, you know, whatever it is. So um, as exhausting as those exercises are, I think they're always fun and good and healthy for us to do. Cause again, it goes back to what you were saying. Why it, why is that rule in place or why am I doing what I'm doing? Cause now I'm creating rules with <laughs> my kids is that rule because that's just what we did? Like, you know, uh, my I, I I said something about my kid to my kids like no singing at the table, and my wife asked me later. She's like, "Why? Why no singing at the table?" I said, "Well, I don't know. That's just what my parents always said. We're not allowed to sing at the table. I don't. I honestly don't know why yeah. there's no singing at the table. I really don't understand. Right. So, right, right, like, right. I had to reassess that rule and go. You know what? We love singing in this family. Let's sing at the table. I don't care. Yeah. You know, that's that's uh, so it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, there's there's been actually quite a few instances that for me where I'm like hard lined about something with my child and, and my wife would be like, well, why? And I'm like, I don't, I don't actually know why. Like, you're right. Like, mm-hmm. One. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been really interesting. And the other thing I wanted to mention too was in terms of like uncovering learned traits from family is like, it's a lot of work to dive into that, but it mm-hmm. certainly is better to do that work and find, figure it out like, oh, for sure. before, before it has to come up from, an issue right with a spouse or with a business partner or something you know yeah for sure oh geez the boys are back (laughs) oh we got slime all over their shirt crazy boys yep can't wait you got boys i got a barking dog here (laughs) the slime just happened to stick to his shirt yeah oh yeah all right great all right boys (laughs) go go play guys And now they're sad they can't be back on the podcast. <laughs> the sad faces, I tell you what. Um, I think I think you're ex- exactly right, though. Like, if you're not thinking about those things, you're just going through life. Then you're you're uh, to me that's m- much more of a passive um, passive involvement as a parent instead of an active yeah. involvement as a parent. And I don't remember who it was. Just a couple podcasts ago, they had mentioned um, that it is so much easier. To be like a laissez-faire, leave it like borderline bad dad. It is a lot harder to be a good involved dad. Um, totally. And to me, being a good involved dad is using those those having those conversations with your spouse and like, hey, what what is it that like? Why is it that we made that decision? Is that the wisest? But um, you know, and to me, I, my wife and I typically have those conversations not around the kids. Like, okay, well, we did this. Do, do we think that that's the right thing to do? Like, and having those conversations before it becomes a problem. So, good on you. I, I love hearing the proactivity part of that. Yeah. Well, not even just for your child, right? Just for yourself and for oh, yeah. business. You know, I think, yeah. I think, you know, in, in GoBundance specifically, you know, a, a lot of people are so passionate and focused on growth for the future that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see a whole lot of, you know, like, of course, like I have an hour, like every day I build an hour of, of kind of zone out time for myself from four to five every single day. And, you know, I try to use some of that, of course, I, work bleeds over into that most days but Mm -hmm. if i do have some time there i try to really kind of focus on my own systems and processes and like you know what can i do to better that why do they exist in the beginning like should i should i adjust one because like is maybe the system that i put in place six months ago isn't relevant anymore because of the growth of the business or my own growth or whatever but i do think taking time to look back to the last 10 years of someone's life as an entrepreneur and like understand like, you know, the decisions that they make today, where did that, where did that 
process come from? And like, is that still relevant going forward? Mm -hmm. Even just looking back to your childhood and stuff, I think it's really powerful. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, of course, I think... it's, it's hard to arrive. Sorry, it's hard to arrive no. to uh, on your own, you know, uh, effort, right? A lot of times you need someone to help you with that. Yeah. Like a therapist yeah. or, or whatever, yeah. a friend. <laughs> Even, I mean, to me, my, my wife is by far my, my biggest confidant sounding board to be able to, to yeah. ask those questions. And then when it comes to business stuff, you know, having, having a group like abundance to me has been like life changing, you know, in, in, in more ways than one, just because we, we think about things so much differently. You know, it's not just about the business and making money, but we can have conversations like this about being a dad and how that influences what we're doing and, um, you know, going on those epic adventures and doing all sorts of fun stuff. So totally. if you're not constantly reassessing and relooking, um, then you're, you know, you're bound to be just continuing mistakes for no reason. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when it, when it comes to the business side though, um, you, uh, let's jump over there a little bit. Um, uh, I think I saw in your Facebook, it was, you said the, an energy company with the Coke, was it Nas? I think I saw the Nas mm -hmm. energy yep. drinks on your Facebook group, right? So tell me how you kind of got into the marketing side of the house. Um, sure. how that kind of, how that progressed. Uh, yeah, just let's start there. Sure. Yeah, so uh, I like to say that, like I and my agency, we we work in enthusiast culture, mm -hmm. and I would say that kind of like encapsulates my entire life, right? So uh, from the moment I needed an escape and started riding BMX and skateboarding and snowboarding, you know, like with it's something that you can attach yourself to. It's a subculture. It's a lifestyle. Um, it's something. It's an activity. It's something you can do. So starting there, right, like snowboarding skateboarding that's what i did like all day every day i wanted to go do that and then you know 2001 i think it was or 99 when fast and furious came out i was like obsessed with it just like every other person at my age was uh -huh. obsessed with it so then of course i wanted the fast car and you know in northern wisconsin uh a lot of those didn't exist you know it wasn't it wasn't uh very popular up there other than like old corvettes and mustangs and stuff but either way i got into cars and then um went off to school, which obviously we missed a part in there we could talk about in a minute, but went off to school in Chicago um, and still super into cars, super into that enthusiast culture. And um, I was uh, working, I don't know how, I, I ended up being a valet attendant in, in downtown Chicago. Mm -hmm. And within like two months of being there, I like noticed all these like gaps and systems and processes and whatnot. And I eventually went to the owner. I'm like, listen, like, this stuff sucks. You're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna have to either you can make me the manager and I can fix all this stuff for you, or I'm gonna quit. And he made me the manager like right away, like the next week or whatever. And I worked there for a while, but eventually it was like, okay, I can only go so far here. This is all while I'm going to school, Columbia College. Um, a buddy of mine that I met in school, he, I was looking to make some extra money, and he kind of knew it. I was like asking around who's got what jobs, what gigs, whatever. He had a um, brand ambassador opportunity. He worked for Fuse Beverage, which owned NOS at the time, before Coke. Um, and he needed someone to help him on a weekend. It was like a music festival. Hey, you want to hand out drinks? You know, I'll pay you 15 bucks an hour, whatever it was. Cool. So I did that. And I'm like, this is awesome. Because <laughs> it's like, you're at an enthusiast style thing with people who are mm -hmm. obsessed with music, festival, crowd, and we we're just giving out drinks and like saying hi and like, get, you know, interacting. And that was totally different. I had never done anything like that up until that point, but I loved it. I lo I just loved it. So I was like hounding him. I was like, what's going on next week? Can I work with you? Can I work mm -hmm. with you? And eventually 
it wasn't long. It was maybe like one or two months in, I started to, to do some events with him and his boss. Um, and then we just kind of got to talking and they were going to open um, the NOS energy drink position in Chicago. And the NOS position caters to the automotive enthusiasts, which I already was at that point. Um, so I just harassed the heck out of her uh, for, man, six months or so. You know, I was like pushing her for meetings, pushing her for whatever, coffee, just so I could chat to her about what things I would do in this role. And eventually they, they flew me out to, I don't even remember where it was, somewhere in Jersey, uh, White Plains or something, for a meeting with everybody at corporate. And my, meanwhile, corporate is 12 people. Like all the whole company is like 12 <laughs> yeah. or 13 people at that point. And I remember I like wore some ridiculous suit that I got from like TJ Maxx or something because I thought I had to wear a suit. And uh, anyways, I got the role. And I, I started working and it was so awesome, man. We had, we had, I had like three teams across like 12 or 14 states. We were doing like five, six events a week. We had all these sampling vehicles. And then I think there was like 12, no, like eight other NOS uh, marketing managers in the country. And we, we just blew all of them out of the water. Like nice. every meeting we would have, we were just, our numbers were just absolutely destroying because I cared so much about it. I loved it. I already had connections. I already knew what I was doing. I knew like the places that it, we needed to get in and um, they would pull numbers for, um, I don't know how they did it, uh, for market share in Chicago. And we were surpassing Red Bull and Monster like nonstop. Like we would go to an event and I would see a Red Bull car parked in a tow zone and I would call the tow, like the police and be like, hi, I'm trying to load in my semi truck for this festival and there's just dumb Red Bull car parked here. And they would come like tow them. I was like, I meant serious business. That's awesome. And then after like four or five years, uh, coca-cola they had made a minority investment in it but then they went through with the purchase and i worked for nos at coca-cola for maybe like two years and then it just got real crazy it was just a lot of like not, not fun stuff anymore yeah. pretty much uh but thankfully during that time i really got to know the business of automotive of motorsports of the automotive demographic i met a lot of race car drivers and met a lot of event organizers and Eventually started doing some side work for an athlete and this other, you know, brand and whatnot. And then, you know, finally it was, uh, I was nearing, nearing the end of my time there. And, uh, I wanted to move to LA to, that's where kind of like the hub of like youth motorsport was. You had like global rally cross and all this other cool stuff going on. Uh, cool brands like Hoonigan stuff were starting. Um, and it was around the same time that, uh, my ex and I, we're kind of like on the outs and um, I was going to take this other role in, in uh, LA and she didn't want to move. So I turned it down. They're like the next day she was like, I want to see other people. I'm like, <laughs> pick up the phone. I called them back. Like, Oh, we already offered it to someone else. I'm like, okay, I'm moving anyway. So I just, yeah. I packed up my car and luckily at that time I was, I think I had like a retainer for like six grand a month or something. It was pretty healthy back, back yeah. in those days the age I was. So I just packed everything in my car and I moved. I had a buddy, um, a couple of buddies who have a surf company in Oceanside, um, North San Diego County. And they said I could sleep at their warehouse. So I slept on a conference room floor in a warehouse for two or one or two months, 40 days, 45 days while I tried to get life together and up to speed and get some clients and stuff. And I eventually moved up to LA and lived with a buddy for another couple of months. So I got my own place, but 
Yeah, it's kind of a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, it sounds easy. It sounds like uh, you know it was no problem at all. Just walked right into it. So, um, the uh, the the Nas thing sounds awesome. Like I, uh, it just sounds like a lot of fun. Especially you know, what year was that? That would be probably 2007. Is probably when I started okay. working with 2007 2008 is when I started working so, with Nas. Yeah, it's around 22 years old, right? 22, <clears throat> 23 years old. Um, yeah, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. That's phenomenal. Like at that age, especially, like that had to have been an absolute blast. Like it was. I mean, I, I was mean, in Iraq, so uh, a little yeah. bit different sort of blast. Different. So I think that uh, the music festival scene would have been a little bit more fun. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was. It was definitely cool because you know we were a group of people that you know we we wanted to have fun, but we are also were were passionate about what yeah. we did. But everything was financed by, you know, you want my, I remember being on a call and we were going over travel and expenses uh, for the group. And I remember like most people were like 20, 30,000 for the year or whatever. And mine was like 60, 65,000 or something. Cause <laughs> taking people to dinners, you know, air travel. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. Uh, now I pay for all of that. So yes, exactly. <laughs> but honestly, I, I bet you that gave you a huge step up in in running your own company. Like just being that uh, level of a manager where you were and tracking those expenses <clears throat> and understanding where it was at. Like, um, uh, how did how, so? Uh, let me then fill a, fill a gap. You went from uh, <clears throat> sleeping on the uh, storage room floor to living with a buddy to then getting your own place and somewhere in there starting your own business, or were you working something other corporate before before you started your own yeah, advertising so- company? So I started a, a different business first that was primarily going to be focused on management of talent of of athletes. It's mostly race car drivers. It's what I it's what I was doing. It's what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. So I had two solid ones. You know, I think I was between the two of them. I was making I don't know hundred hundred grand a year, which is at that time I was like, this is awesome. But yeah. I was also spending it all. I was just living mm-hmm. the life in L.A. You know, just loving it. Um, and the you know motorsports there's not a ton of money in it like there are in some forms of it but yeah. to be able to work with a driver and go find them sponsors and whatnot is very challenging so after about a year or so i very quickly realized that that wasn't a, a long-term thing um and i ended up getting i had a, a several different roles in um in automotive from director of digital marketing to marketing operations director comms and you know, pretty much anything on the marketing side you could okay. have i had and then uh and then it was when i actually i was working for a buddy of mine now von Gittin jr um i was his director of marketing communications and he's like a very he's a very very well known like a uh, race car driver basically um in in the youth motorsport scene um but he's very what was and is very popular and at the time we were traveling nonstop, like all over the world basically mm-hmm. and um there was a point it was a couple months where i was gone like two three weeks out of um, out of the month and trying to get uh married to my wife and we were trying to buy a house and stuff and finally i was like i just and we were i think we were booking a trip to oman or something through through work and i'm like mm-hmm. i just can't i can't i can't i'm like i need to just get a job in a cubicle for a year let me get through the wedding get through this house uh you know purchase so mm-hmm. i went to work at another company and i negotiated like a nice salary and a bonus and stuff and it was it was absolute mundane horrible work which i re- honestly i didn't really do much i hope they're if, they, if you're listening thanks uh, <laughs> but i got you know i, I 
had time to like kind of reset and reprioritize at that time that I started microdosing as well. Um, and it really just kind of refreshed my outlook on what I wanted to do. Um, and then I remember I started to get more, that's when I was like, I'm going to do marketing, uh, clients as opposed to like management clients. So Mm -hmm. I got a bunch of clients on the side. I was working there. I was making nice bonuses. You know, we were, we were great. We had our honey. We took a month off of work. They didn't care. Went to Vietnam, Bali, Thailand. And then I came back and I remember the day my quarterly bonus hit my bank account and the day I put my notice in that I was leaving. Um, freelance for a little bit longer and then i went to that agency that i was referencing the pr mm-hmm. agency we were working on some i was freelancing with them on some uh business big event tour uh, around the united states for a huge retailer um i don't think i can say the name but it's very successful right now but we basically built that from scratch it's what my my focus was but i was building so many hours they were like can you just please come work here so i went to work there and um yeah, a year later, I'm like, I'm just gonna go do this for myself for real, and um, it's it, it worked out pretty well. COVID hit, mm-hmm. and you know we, you know I, I, I made some not amazing business decisions. Um, like I got an office, and I had a couple of employees probably earlier than I should have, which is a learning uh, piece for me. And then yeah. uh, COVID hit, and within 30 days, you know I think I think at the time our monthly revenue was like. 45,000, but we lost like 39 of it in a month. Mm-hmm. And I had to let go of the two employees. I had to get out of the office. And then I remember thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just I hit up somebody I knew um, at another company and they gave me a chance, thankfully. So I went and I got back into corporate America in automotive um, for a year while I kind of reevaluated what I was doing on the side. Um, a year into there, another company poached me away. So I was making you know, some more money and, and working remotely, thankfully, because it was around that time we were pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, that became obviously a big priority for me because the company I was working for in LA, I was commuting an hour and a half each way, which out of a out of a day is yeah. three hours of your Struffing. day when you're, your pregnant wife's at home and you're about to have your kid and stuff. So um Worked there for a year, and then that company had massive layoffs. I think out of 800 people, they laid off like 500 over the course of a couple months, and they started with remote people, which I was the highest paid remote person. I was the VP of digital advertising. And um, from there, it was <laughs> I remember walking into our, our room. I got up. I was I'd get up early and work, but I was up at like 5 or so and had a conversation with my, my boss at the time and was like, We're, we have to let you go. We're letting... So many people go, blah, blah, blah. Walked in the bedroom. I'm like, well, <laughs> I have good news and I have bad news. And she's like, you got to go. I'm like, I got to go. However, I can spend the day with you guys. It's great. <laughs> and I remember she was like nervous and it didn't phase me at all. Like I already had a couple like clients on the side and mm-hmm. I wasn't worried even for a second. And then, you know, within I got severance and stuff. And then within 30 days, I was doubled what I was making at that company. Nice. And it was, it's it's all history from from there, really. That's awesome. Yeah, I was just listening yesterday to um, Alex Ramosi, and he was talking about side hustles. He's like, "Hey, I am completely against side hustles that are just used just to be side hustles. They should be to grow a grow a company while you're employed to the point that you can then walk away and run that company. Just chasing a side hustle just for extra cash to be able to do something. He's like, there's there's like you're 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 obviously <laughs> doing something for a reason, and you set yourself up really well by having that side hustle." That was like 
its own company by the point of, of getting yeah. let go by, by corporate. So, sure. um, what was the process of, of like, you know, you went from getting let go, increasing the, you know, double, like increasing your, uh, your income pretty quickly by the sounds of things. Uh, what was it that you were doing to put yourself out there and to get more clients and start really increasing your revenue when you, when you did that? Cause that was also, I mean, well, that was a tough time anyways, uh, through, yeah. through the COVID time at the beginning of COVID. Sure, so sure. yeah. How'd that, how'd that go? Well, luckily, you know, I think I had a, I had a head start because I had already had, you know, the agency, the name, you know, mm-hmm. I had everything kind of established a couple of years earlier. So, you know, some, some relationships that I had early on eventually ended up coming back around and I would, I already had some case study, you know, people knew me and we knew that the work yeah. I did was good. Right. And the work my team we did was, was great for them. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of it was deals like, Hey, you know, I know we were charging you, you know, X amount before I'll, I'll pay me half, you know, for a year. We'll see how it goes. And then if, if you're happy and, you know, I, I made a couple process changes, you know, a couple things that I do that no other agencies really do in my industry is I don't do contracts, which a lot of people hate and get frustrated with me, especially in my, my CPA. But <laughs> I just believe it's like, I ask people to give us a three month engagement. You know, we have engagement letters, blah, 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 30 day, 30 day, 60 day out, whatever it is, the terms, but um, no contract, right? You have to be happy. We have to be happy. I fired so many clients before because I'm not happy with the client. Like your money mm-hmm. is only so good to me. Um, so, you know, I got rid of that. Like I wasn't going to try to get people to sign a contract anymore. It was just, Hey, like we're going to just make it happen. I'm going to make you happy and you're going to, you don't want to leave. Right. It's, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty straightforward. So that was good. Um, I started pricing dynamically. Like I don't have option A, B and C. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't, there's no buckets. It's, you know, I look at your revenue. I look at what you're asking us to do. I look at our agency hours and what I'm asking my staff to do. And then I come up with a price that I think is fair based on the size of your business. And that's done really well for us because I'm able to go to a smaller business that needs a lighter workload and make something work for you know, the size of, of revenue that they have. Yeah. And previously I would have just walked away from that. But now those, those relationships that I've, let's say I mean, cheap, like 25, 3000 a month, but those have developed into nine, 12, you know, 15,000 mm-hmm. a month clients now, because we've helped them build to get there. We're partner, true partners. So those two things. And then, you know, some other little things here and there that, you know, like, Maybe you have some people that are into digital advertising listening, but a lot of agencies will build all the campaigns in an agency ad account, basically, mm-hmm. and and like run it for the business. Um, the problem with that, and agency owners are going to kill me for this. The problem with that is that if if you if like the relationship severs. The agency owns all that data. They own yeah. all the audiences. They own everything. Whereas, and then the person that just severed is left with nothing. And I just think that sucks. Like, I don't think that we should operate like that. So we build everything inside the agency or the the, the brand or company's ad accounts. If they don't have one, we'll set one up for them. You know, you own everything. Yeah. It's that it's transparency. And those couple things have really done well for us. You know, I think we're we're out here to just do a good job for people, have fun doing it, and just be honest. You know, and hmm. you know, we're definitely not the cheapest, but you're aware of everything that's going on from top to bottom, and people have been pretty happy with that. That's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, if you could be a disruptor, 
that's definitely a way to a way to do it, you know. And you seem to have a lot of passion behind it, so I'm sure the disruption and passion really makes a, a big kick for your for your clients. That's really awesome. Um, tell me, kind of, you know, looking at the business and looking at being a dad, like, how do you <clears throat> correlate the two? If you do correlate the two at all, like, have you have you noticed things that you're doing inside your business that you're like, boy, this you know, it really correlates to changing diapers or, you know, maybe changing diapers really correlates to doing something in your business. Like, have you made any of those connections at all yet? You know, I think um, probably the biggest thing just off the top of my head would be um, allowing a certain level of autonomy of failure, right? Mm -hmm. Like giving them proverbial rope or whatever, right? So with my child, I have to stop myself from like trying to like hover and be like, no, 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 do this, do this, do this. <laughs> you know? So it's similar to the, to the business is I, you know, I, I like to hire and put aces in their places is, is what, you know, I like to have very specific specialists or very specific things. And, um, with that, it's, it's been a learning process to like, just let them do their thing. Right. And, you know, I very much so believe in, performance objectives and checking in and, and reviews and whatnot um, and like performance improvement plans when necessary. But um, really it is letting them perform at the mm-hmm. level that the expectation they know to, to perform same with the child. Like hopefully you know, I need to let her find her, her faults and tumbles and whatnot to be able to grow. And that's same, yeah. same with the employees. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. The, uh, and that's very difficult as a as a parent to, especially when you like the literal falls, right? Where you have to literally let them fall totally. and go, go through things. And I mean, there's obviously times you have to jump in. If your kid's putting their hand on flame, right? Yeah, like let's let's not <laughs> let's not permanent yeah. let's not let permanent damage happen, right? But you know the oh. uh, you know you obviously <clears throat> growing up doing uh, various different BMX sports and stuff like that, you're never going to get good at doing some of those tricks and the things that you want to do without falling, without you know that broken totally. wrist, without those injuries and it's the same thing with a kid even learning to walk. They're not going to learn to walk without falling and skinning their knee and maybe bumping their lip and getting fat lip. Like you just got to let them do these things and, and grow through it. Um, if we put our kid in a bubble, it's not going to be, <laughs> it's not going to be beneficial. Right. And the same thing, right. um, you know, with your employees, you got to let them, you got to give them the freedom to go and figure out how to do it. And if they make a mistake, that's fine. Let's talk about the mistake. And if we have to put in, like you said, a performance improvement plan, then, then we do that, you know? And, but yep. for the most part, let, like I hired you for a reason. I've got you in the seat you're in for a reason. And if I, if you're not in the seat for a reason, then I need to reassess why the heck you're my employee anyways, you know? So totally. Uh, not that I can reassess why my kid's my kid. That's, that's I'm stuck with them for a long time. Right now. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think too, like that's something I pride myself in as a business owner. And just before that, even just to, as an employee is like, I like to move fast and learn from mistakes faster. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's necessary, especially in 2023. Like if you are moving too slow, you're going to get left behind. Oh yeah. And that's always been my ethos too. So then that, in an, an extra challenge has been like not block like that's my ethos and like I want my staff to also feel that way but I have found myself in the past like kind of like wanting to like slow them down a little bit to make mm-hmm. sure that things are done right so that's been a challenge for me as well as like letting them move fast and fail fast you know and have to but very quickly fix those problems yeah. and we learn from them and we move on but um, the other thing is you know I just I really do believe in like mistakes making you who you are you know um for example um a few months ago (laughs) actually he if he listens to this uh fine um my former boss at the last company i was at basically 
uh, he also was let go with a whole slew of, of people. And he started a few businesses, one of which is an agency. And he wanted to merge. He wanted to merge our, our businesses. You know, I think he, he's a very smart guy and he's got some successes as well. But I think he saw our, my successes and how we complement each other. He's very much like a account management, business development talker. Mm-hmm. And we, we are more tactical. Um, but my, my, my reaction to him and still to this day is like, I don't want to partner with someone who hasn't failed, like actually failed, like have to get rid of an office, fire two employees, go back to corporate America. Like that's failing, you know, um, him being let go. He was very high up at this company and had built it pretty much from nothing to what it was, but you ultimately were let go from your boss from a board, right? That that's to me, not, not failing. So yeah. I had said to him, once you fail and you recover, <laughs> come talk to me. You know, we can we can figure it out from there. But I really do think that that makes you that that forges you. You know, forges yeah. your process, forges your um, ego <laughs> for the most part, um, and and kind of defines who you are as a as a person and a, as a business owner, as an operator. I should say. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that it, people are way too afraid of failure. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, my kids, even though I can encourage them to fail, they still don't like it, which none of us do. None of us like failure, right? Yeah, um, of course. But, you know, I, I, I often say uh, fail often, but fail forward, right? Yeah. Um, yep. You know, I, I like, I, at times it added the fail fast, and I, I appreciate you saying it because it reminded me that I used to say that, but fail, fail often, fail fast, fail forward, right? Because if you yep. fail fast, you could fix your problem. Like if, if it takes you seven years to fail, like, yeah. but, but you've been doing the wrong process the entire seven <clears> years. Like, boy, then you have to look back at those seven years and go, man, I wish I would have realized this, you know, six years ago instead of now. Um, you know, but if you can just uh, work through the process, push hard, fail, fail now. So you know that you need to fix it and then press forward. Um, but it, to, to me, it's a constant, you should be constantly looking anyways, but um, hopefully you can catch some of the stuff before you fail too awfully hard. But you're about to say yeah. something with well, and I think too, with that comes taking risks. You know, yes. I think that if you don't take risks, you won't know the limitations or alleged limitations on whatever it is you're doing. You know, and I think this actually reminds me. So my wife's from Miami. We're in Florida right now, and mm-hmm. she's from Miami. And for about six months, when my stepfather was pretty sick before he passed away, we went back and we spent some time in Wisconsin. My wife had never driven in snow. <laughs> so, you know, if she wanted to go somewhere, you know, we had to talk about if it was snowing, how would she drive? So then one night I took her to a parking lot and something I had to explain to her is like growing up, we, or my, at least myself, if not all my friends and people in snow states, like you need to know the limitations yes. of braking, of accelerating, of a car, of snow. How far can you slide before you're going to be out of control? What to do with your hands on the wheel, you know, so you have to understand the limitations your own and the vehicle's limitations and how they react together, or you're never going to be a good driver in those conditions. You know, and I think that it's the same thing here is like, until you take the risk and try and find out, you can control the environment for the most part, but you need to have that forethought and figure out what that Mm -hmm. looks like, like an empty parking lot at night. What does that look like in business? You have to take those risks to find out. You'll never know. You won't. And then you'll, you may wake up in seven years, like you said, and figure out you've been doing it wrong the whole time because you never took the day or, you know, year long risk to figure it out. Yeah. I love the, uh, the snow analogy. I had to write that down. I just, I grew up <laughs> when I, 
was learning to drive. I was in central New York, lots of snow. Oh, and yeah. you would go to those empty parking lots and you'd go and like, I would do everything from driving as fast as I could, slam on the brakes. Let's see how they react. Hit the e-brake. Let me see what it's like when I go sideways. Granted, a lot of that was a lot of fun too. So of course, I was of course, trying to have yeah, fun. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. But when it came down to actually driving, I learned so much more about how this vehicle moves, you know, by, by putting yourself through those, through the wickets, you know. Um, how have you seen being able to do that in a business because I'm, I'm contemplating how I would I love the analogy but I'm trying to think through how that works inside <clears> of a business what what would you say you've done to kind of um, test the limits of your business or your skills in the business to see where where you would fail yeah I would say you know anywhere from taking a chance on you know an expensive employee because you believe in you know their capabilities even though they don't bring any money with them mm-hmm. um, that's something that we're exploring right now um, to maybe you know instead of uh, a retainer agreement with a client, you are doing like a partial retainer, but with some sort of licensing licensing agreement on the back end with some, you know, merch line that they're trying to come up with so that you're committing to be able to operate that to make the money off, off that. That's a big risk, especially, you know, for maybe an agency, not to say that we're doing that now, but it is on the table for a marketing agency to take a risk on making money on the back end from merch. Mm-hmm. That's a huge risk could be absolutely massive or it could be a failure and we have to reevaluate ever doing yeah. that again and losing much money, not only on the Delta on the client, but also probably the money that you put into that program. So little things like that, I think, um, I think taking a risk in this regard isn't always obvious. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's being creative. It's like, well, what if, Instead of this, we did this. Like, for example, that. Okay, well, you can't afford the $8,500 retainer. How about you pay 4000 a month and give us 99% licensing on you know, these five properties to do whatever we want with it? So just even being able to come up with that concept, uh, you, know, you have to be creative, but that's also a risk. So it's yeah. not always inherent. It's not always obvious. But risks exist. You just have to find them. And mm-hmm. chances are, if you're good at what you do, they can pay off. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at those as from a from a dad perspective. One of those risks. By the time this comes out, I will have already made the decision. But um, I'm looking at doing homeschooling, right? Uh, which is a very odd. I would have never thought that I'd be looking at that, right? But my sons already go to private school, but now I've been looking at homeschooling. I love to travel. I love to go places, and yeah, the school system does not really allow that very much. <laughs> and I also want to be able to impact my kids on a higher level. Uh, to me, it's a very large risk, right? Because I'm running a couple companies and I'm trying to figure out, like, do I have the time? Do I have the patience? Like, by the time my kids get home from school and I have to help with homework, I've already spent my whole like decision making <laughs> for the day. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm spent by that point, so I already don't have yeah. patience. So I'm like, okay, well, how do, how am I going to homeschool? Um, to me, it's a big risk, but I feel like the risk is going to pay off a lot if I'm able to, like, when I'm able to successfully accomplish this this task, right? So. Um, you know, and if, if I, if I fail, then, you know, it, it's only my kids, no big deal. Right No, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I'm not going to know unless I take the risk, I'm not going to know whether or not yeah. it was a good idea or if not, like all the research that I'm doing tells me that it should be. And, um, you know, but I think the same thing goes with the business, like do the research, know what it is you're getting into, come up with the right plans, put it in place. If yeah. it works, it works. If it doesn't be smart to be able to take it and, and jump on it, uh, jump on the, the change totally. if you need to. So. Yeah, and I think too, like my how I view risks with fatherhood is probably a little bit smaller risk, but more of them. You know, like <clears throat> something so simple can change your kid's life. You know, like we're we're talking about going on vacation to Panama this year. My wife has some family down there, and they're Panama City, so it's like we're looking at what 
that's not far from here. It's a three hour flight from, mm-hmm. from Florida basically. Right. Um, so that's not really a risk, but it's like, when we get there, are we going to do like an overnight on a catamaran? Like things that are like, they're risky for us as parents. It's like, I don't yeah. I have no idea how, like how any of that stuff's going to go, but those are just t- small, smaller risks. But I think they add up to like completely changing a kid's life, you know, put yeah. in a, in a, for the better. Right. So, um, yeah, just, just a, if you have any recommendations, if you've ever been to Panama, I would love, I, would love I have not, I have never been to Panama. Okay. So I, uh, we've traveled a lot. So my middle child was born in Japan where my wife and I were both stationed oh, cool. in Japan. So he, he was born there. And then, um, when he was seven months old, we got to America, but the U S was his sixth country that he'd been to. So oh my gosh. yeah, he bounced around all over. So Japan and Spain and Bali and, um, wow. Uh, Singapore and uh, Portugal. So we went all over the place with them and still love to travel with them all the time. Um, and now we've got to get a passport for our newest. I love looking at the passport photo for, for my kids. Like with, cause they're like, I literally like held them up like for a picture trying to get like hold their face. So it's a little brand new baby trying to get passport <laughs> photos. It'd be the same for this one. So. Oh man. But somebody cute. told me after my second one t- tip for any of the fathers out there who need to get uh, passport photos for their babies is um, lay them down on a sheet, a white sheet and take the picture from above. I was like, how did yeah. I not think of that nonsense? Like I just went to a normal passport right. photo place and I'm like trying to hold up a two month old, one month old to get the face to look into a kid like ridiculous. But yeah. Much I did see that uh, a parenting hack somewhere. Yeah, yeah. where we have to do that pretty soon, actually, for for this one. Yeah, if you're going to be going to Panama, you might want to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've got my stack of passports here that I need to mail in and get them all redone. So um, we yeah. want to. My oldest wants. We asked him. We said, "Hey, do you want to do um, an adventure for your birthday, or do you want to, you know, get a couple presents?" And he's like, "Oh no, totally adventure." So. He said he wants to go on a cruise. One of the cruises that has the water park on it is really all he cares about. He just wants to go on one of those cruises because he's seen it on something and he's like, I want to do it. So, all right, well, let's, let's go to a few more countries. Let's get it in. So, um, and, and we could say that him wanting to do that as a result of a series of risks that you've taken yeah. over the years, right? To get yeah. in there that someone wants to have an adventure and experience over a couple material items. I think that's really amazing. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. a lot of fun to be able to. I think that, you know, I, if I were to guess, the background that you come from, you're going to be very similar in doing a lot of that stuff. Like my, we bought a small dirt bike for him when for his fifth birthday um, that is now going to be passed to his little brother because he is, it's too big for him now, or he's too big for it now. It's the 50cc and he's like, yeah. his knees are touching his elbows at this <laughs> point, you know? So, uh, so I'll be bumping him up to probably a 110 here shortly, but um but they, I mean, crashing into trees. All right. You got to get up. Got to try again. Got to keep going, you know, and you press on, you keep it like, so, you know, jumping off of, uh, jumping off the diving board, doing backflips on the trampoline, doing whatever, like going out and taking the risks and having fun and traveling. And, um, you know, now, you know, he, uh, my brother-in-law brought over, um, a scuba tank. I don't remember even why he did it, but he brought it over. Um, <laughs> and we were playing with it in the pool. And my eight-year-old is just down there, just scuba diving away, just having a blast. Oh he's God, like, this is amazing. awesome, you know. So he's down there, just sucking off the scuba tank, just having a great time. <laughs> I, I can't even get him into scuba That's class so until cool. he's twelve. I think is the the minimum. Um, wow. So now he's gonna be he's gonna be a little pro by the time he's actually allowed that to do scuba awesome. diving. So, but yeah, th- so I think cool. the setting them up for those types of things is you know. Totally. I, I mean, got, like, it, that's part of life is that adventure. Like you're not living life if yeah. you're not having those types of adventures. So no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I that's will what say kills that, me when that people are probably... like, I don't like to travel with my kids. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. Like, you got to yeah. travel with your kids. 
That is probably one, you know, if I have to give my my uh, my real father one credit, it would be, although he was not around, the one thing I do remember, it was, I don't remember what birthday it was, maybe seven or eight or something. It was, do you want to go into karate lessons? Because I was like, I wanted to be in karate. Mm-hmm. Or do you want a dirt, a dirt bike? And I'm like, that was, it was actually a tough decision. That would at be, the time. yeah. But I chose the dirt bike, you know, and I think that, I mean, I could, my life could be different if I, if I yeah. chose karate and had the discipline, you know, that side of things, or I had a dirt bike where I was just shredding through the woods, crashing mm-hmm. every instance, learning from, you know, my failures and how to operate a clutch and all that stuff. You know, I think that really kind of helped define my extreme oh, sure. side probably a little bit. I yeah. would imagine. So, yeah. yeah. But the same for, for our daughter, as soon as I can convince my wife. Oh yeah, is she not uh, on that same board? Not quite as extreme, I yeah. would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tell people like my wife shoots <clears throat> shoots guns and rides motorcycles. So if our daughter wants to be a princess, we're totally screwed. So um, <laughs> I don't I don't know what we're going to do. But hopefully, if she wants to be a princess, she'll be a dirt bike riding princess. So that'll yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I could Absolutely. only hope. But um, but yeah, it, to me, it's it's part of the adventure. You know, if if uh, but every child's going to be different. So you know, it's. If it if you know if one likes it and the other one doesn't, it is what it is. Adam is obsessed with golf, my oldest, so we'll see if you know Rourke just wants to do anything his, his big brother's doing. So um, that means dirt biking and four wheeling and golf at the moment. But <laughs> if it changes later, then it changes later. Uh, and again, we've got they're back at the door. Yes, son. <laughs> Quickly. Um, two things. Uh, Where's the cornhole? He wants to play cornhole. Where's the cornhole? Really. <laughs> Uh, I'll pull it out after I'm done recording this lovely podcast. You're just wanting to be on YouTube again, aren't you? See, I tried <laughs> to convince him that he should do a YouTube channel um, yeah. of him golfing. Um, to um, good. This in here. So, yeah, I want to do a YouTube yeah. channel of him golfing. Um, and that way, you know, he can kind of see his, his improvements and, you know, share with other people and encourage other kids to golf. And, um, but he's, he's not as convinced. Maybe this is convincing him because he's trying to get on the video all the time, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. What do you think, buddy? You think you should, uh, do a YouTube channel? I think you should do it. No. No. He says, Mr. AJ says you should. What? Why does this keep? Absolutely. Yeah. See, he says, he says you should do it. Yep. No. All right. Well, go start your YouTube channel, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right now. Go, go swing your yeah, golf right, club. Right go now. start it. Right now. Oh. All right. Let me finish this. I'll be out in a little bit. I love you, buddy. I said I love you, buddy. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> sweet. At, at the, when I drop them off at school, I, I usually tell them, and I'll make sure their teacher hears them. Hears me. I say, "Well, have a terrible day, buddy." And like, <laughs> and Rourke, he always looks at me. Never. And his teachers are just cracking up all the time, but uh, it's a lot that's of fun. Great. But yeah, it's uh, awesome. Um, I don't remember what we were talking about now, but adventures and risk taking and dirt all the stuff. So dirt yeah. bikes. And, yeah, yeah. Um, that was one one thing all the time too. Is so Adam has been learning how to do wheelies on his little fifty cc, which there's no clutch oh, on it, wow. so it's a little bit a little bit more difficult. So he's got to like peg yeah. it out in first gear and then slam it into second, and then it, it'll pick Jeez. up and move his butt back yeah. on you know. So you get that. <laughs> I was like, well, it's a good thing these things are basically bulletproof because it's a little, it's a little Honda, Honda 50 and it, uh, it's, oh, yeah. yeah. So that thing's never going to die, but man, oh man, he's going to sure give it a try. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then when I put him on mine, he wants me to do, 
do wheelies on on my dirt bike with them on it. I'm like, all right. So my wife is like, just <laughs> just make sure they have helmets on. That's all I care about. I said, of course, yes, we'll have their helmets on. Don't worry, jeez. But no, oh, it's man. a lot of fun. We've got an au pair, yeah. and she rides dirt bikes too. She rides motorcycles. Really? So it was, yeah, it was. Awesome. She came from Brazil, and she rides motorcycles in Brazil. And I was like, all right, wow. well. Good luck. We've got it here. So she looked at by. She's like, nope, too tall. Not touching that one. I said, oh, no, you are. You're getting out in the backyard right now and riding. So, and she did. So that's awesome, it's a lot man. of fun. That's really but cool. I think that the, to me, those, those risks, those adventures, those, you know, that's why I, I, it boggles me when people are like, oh, no, my kids are too young. I don't travel right now. I'm like, like, that is what a restriction on your own thought process, right? Like you're restricting sure. your yeah. success, your enjoyment, your everything, just because you, you have this limiting belief that you can't go somewhere with your child. Like, sure. uh, I, I mean, sure. Some kids don't travel as well as others, yeah. but they're not going to get better by not doing it. Like it's not, it's yeah. not going to become easier by just skipping it. You know, you're only delaying right. the inevitable, but uh, is this going to be the first time if you, when you do Panama first time traveling outside the country with your daughter? Mm-hmm. Uh, by, by plane. Yeah. When we okay. lived in LA, we drove down uh, to Mexico, but okay. yeah. Good. Yeah. And, yeah. and she, she actually used to hate, well, she wasn't, she's not the best traveler. Lately she's been getting a lot better. They're like, on planes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, now she's just, she's just a little easier, you know, a year and a half. They become a little bit easier, I yeah. guess is what, is what is happening. What it seems like in your situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but interesting enough, she hates the car, the car seat. You know, after 20, 30 minutes, she just loses her mind, no matter what. I mean, yeah. I guess like, if we put the iPad on, maybe, but like, just has never loved it. Backwards, forwards, anything. She mm. just does not, does not like the car seat, which is challenging. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, that's, uh, I've been in cars with kids that are screaming. And I, I mean, I, I can't say that I don't. There's going to be times where you got to stop. It's just like, all right, we've got to figure out yeah. how to make this happen, right? But, uh, but man, it just again, it, <clears throat> just like anything else with us that hurts, it's not going to get any better by by just avoiding it, totally. you know. So, uh, but I'm glad to hear that yeah. she's doing better on the the flight travel. That's that's always fun. Yeah, I mean, well, and part of the reason because you know we lived in L.A. and then part of the reason we landed on Nashville is is much closer to Florida, where mm-hmm. both my family now is and and my wife's family. Um, and, uh, well, and because my wife works in music and it's a big, big yeah. music, oh, city, yeah. but it's become a lot easier. Like the jet blues and, you know, an hour, 20 minutes direct to Fort Lauderdale, super mm-hmm. easy. Um, whereas to go from LA to, to PBI or to Fort Lauderdale is, you know, five, five and a half hours, yeah. you know, crap, crap somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So much more challenge. So now, yeah. now we're just, you know, right where we need to be. Yeah. And Nashville's, <laughs> like, Nashville's a lot three, of fun. Three hours. Yeah. yeah, it's a man. It is such a cool city. Um, you know, I think obviously it's very popular for the party side of things, but it's um, it's growing so fast. And what I like about it, you know, in LA we live in Highland Park, like on the east side. A lot of creators and you know people that are um, come, you know, have businesses, small businesses, cool restaurants. Uh, and Nashville very much so is like you know you have furniture makers and you have you know. Uh, you know actors and actresses you have obviously you know talented musicians anywhere you look there's just so you know real estate is, is exploding commercial mm-hmm. real estate um unique concepts for buildings there's a lot of really cool people doing a lot of really cool stuff it's extremely inspiring um from like a maker creative perspective which is is something that i really like it, it's inspiring to me personally just to be around that so you know we're talking about what's the next phase of our life is it 
to move down here, you know, to like Palm Beach, Del Rey area. And it's nice because we'd be by family, but I mm -hmm. just, every time we come here, you know, we'll spend a week or two. And like, I just, I don't find that here that yeah. like hip, you know, I don't want to say hipster, but like, you know, like younger, you know, hip creator, you know, hustler, like let's build something cool. There's, you know, uh, you know, food, uh, cool food pop-ups and mm -hmm. I just don't, I don't see it here. Maybe I'm looking in the wrong spot. Maybe somebody yeah. is listening to this thing can, can chime in. And well, tell hopefully, me where yeah. There's some parts yeah. of Miami that are definitely like that, but, Oh, um, sure, sure, sure. But yeah, you've got to, I mean, that, but yeah. Miami is, uh, golly, that is a beast of a city in and of itself though. So it's one of those, you know, you got to be ready for some, some craziness going <laughs> to Miami. So yeah, I don't, I don't think my daughter's ready for Miami. <laughs> yet. Yeah. We went to, uh, I don't remember. I think it was Miami beach and it, that was nice. I mean, a, a couple small little bodegas sure. all over the place, cool restaurants, but I'm not the creator type or the creative type or any of that type of stuff. So I, I have zero ability to uh, point you in the right direction there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think Nashville though is, is definitely one of those, one of those cities that uh, um, you can, you could see a lot of what you're, what you're talking about there. And it just, there's, yeah. I mean, I tried to avoid the touristy area when I, when I sure. go and visit there, but man, you can, you can get anything in Nashville. I mean, it's, you can have any sort of environment you want. It is. Yeah. It, it's booming. And like, there's no signs of, of slowing down. You know, we have, around every corner is a James Beard nominee and you know, like there's so many amazing chefs coming to the mm -hmm. city, the Titan stadiums, you know, $2 billion, you know, refresh to, to, you know, rebuild the stadium right next to it and kind of redo the whole waterway walkway there. Um, so many different companies and stuff are kind of, it's just, it is such a cool time to be there. It reminds me, uh, you know, of LA like 10, 15, 15 years ago. That's really yeah, cool. In the developing areas, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's very it's very awesome. So with your company, are you focused then uh I think I think you mentioned you have a team in uh Canada as well, is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. So what yeah. is your main focus? I mean you're, you're <clears throat> focusing on like the enthusiast culture, right? Um mm -hmm. uh, so do you have like a geographic area or is it more just strictly like it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter as long as you're in that kind of enthusiast market? For for clients, yeah, for clients, for like for what you're looking yeah. for, yeah, yeah, um, you know, North America, probably U.S. based, uh, not so much internationally. Um, we do primarily direct consumer e-commerce businesses are our clients. So okay. if you start a you know UTV business and you're selling suspension direct to to consumer, right, and you have a Shopify or whatever, like, well, our expertise is you know full funnel advertising to help you develop content and build out your funnels and your audiences on the back end and your email and SMS programming and your, your meta ads, your Google ads and all the attribution tracking and stuff. And then we operate those for you. So it's from putting out a cool video about your business to, you know, making a sale with a SMS, uh, abandoned cart reminder, abandoned checkout reminder, you know, so it's top to bottom is ideally what we like to do for all clients and have kind of full creative control over it because it helps us move the fastest mm -hmm. and helps get them get the results uh, as fast as possible. Yeah, primarily automotive. So okay. wheels, tires, suspension, ATV, UTV, um, anything really kind of associated that with that. We do a lot of ticket sales, actually. So Grid Life is a, an event series. We do all their ticketing advertising for ticket sales okay. um uh, electrify expo is another big electric car expo that's traveling the country we do the same thing for them so it's the same concept right it's 
engage, put them in an audience, bring them down the funnel, serve the right ads to be able to complete a ticket sale purchase conversion. Mm. Um, and then we started an event activation arm as well this year. So we sent a couple clients and we'll go out to events and, you know, we'll activate full for them fully. We manage everything, the data collection to um, the display. We have a couple like driving simulators we'll set nice. up. You know, I pay for the brand ambassador. I pay for the, the van, the tour, the, the, the touring manager, the fuel, the food, the hotels, like literally I turn key, you know, I own the trust system. I own the simulator, I own the iPads, I own the bar, the signage. And so we'll go to a company and like, I think this last one, um, it was 14 events, right? We'll come and we'll say, this is going to be, you know, 100, 120 grand for the year. However, if you were to do it yourself and ship stuff and send staff, you'd be paying mm-hmm. 150, 160. So you're saving money and we're, we just act for you out in the field. So we do that right now for a couple of clients. And then I'm actively doing some, some biz dev on a couple other clients that I'm hoping to bring in for next year. So ideal state is in 2024. We've got two or three vans doing, um, on road automotive stuff. And we have two or three vans doing off road truck um stuff like out in the in the desert and whatnot so that sounds it's cool really cool. it reminds me yeah. of the nos days it yeah. really is it like takes me back to the event activation days but the nice thing about it now is like we are for a couple of these clients we are also the agency that's taking that data that mm-hmm. we're getting and then we're using it so we're using it to send them sms you know deals or whatever day of day of that we get their their data we're putting them into our audience sequencing and whatnot so you know on meta and, and email and sms so um, you know, it's, it's like, we're doing the work for you, but we also know what we're talking. We know why we're doing it. You know, yeah. there's a lot of companies like, yeah, we'll get you data. And you're like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. well, we'll get an email. I'm like, well, what, what is like, why is that important? You know? And then we apply, um, you know, basically a value to each email based on the client, their AOV, you mm-hmm. know, how many, um, convert and whatnot. So we're able to say that, Hey, we got you 600 emails at this one event and you know, that's equal to $25 an email. And you know, so you can see how the value adds up, but it's pretty, it's pretty cool how it's working out. That's awesome. Yeah. We, uh, with, with ADPI, one of the companies that I, uh, help run, uh, active duty, passive income, we like constantly trying to advertise, get the right, get in front of the right people, do the right funnels. And it's all done internally. And man, it's, it's, it's exhausting. So, um, you know, uh, that, uh, uh, we're, we're now on our second live event that we're prepping for and those are exhausting and all the <laughs> stuff, dude, the ticket sales and everything. So that's, that's really, I mean, uh, having all of that in house in one spot, um, you and I may have to chat afterwards anyways, but that's <laughs> yeah. I just gotta learn yeah, a little bit more, but it's cool. It's cool. And then, you know, we, um, at least at a couple of the, the events that we activate at, everybody's got, pop-up tents 10 by mm-hmm. 10 10 by 20 so what i did is we went and uh bought like a big truss system like 10 it's 10 feet tall you know 20 feet wide you know it's this big beautiful metal truss system that we have custom signage on everywhere we have tvs mounted in the front nice. showing you know product reels we have the simulator we have the bar with the ipad stands like it looks like a super professional setup because it is yeah yeah <laughs> and uh I remember when we started this, the couple of the guys that I have working on the tour, they were complaining about how much time it took to set up this trust system. Mm-hmm. I think it took them you know, a day, probably in the beginning, it would be like an eight hour day to set everything up. And 
you know, I just kept pushing. I'm like, well, that is the value prop. It takes yeah. time because it's awesome. Like it, if, if it were easy, everybody else here would have that. Yeah. But during the event, everybody comes over and like, wow, that's so awesome. And to be totally honest, for the one client in, in particular, I, you know, I, I'm breaking even. It's a lost leader, really, because I knew I could get other, you know, people yeah. at these events to come for over sure. and say, wow, I want that for our setup. And it's happening. It's yeah. happening. We have a lot of people very interested. Um, and I also told them, just keep going and you're going to get better and better once you, you know, develop efficiencies and how to store it and how to mm-hmm. like, keep things attached. And sure enough, now, they're about halfway through the season. I think they got it down like four hours. So almost nice. cut in half yeah. of how, how fat, how long it takes them. So, so that's one better. of those, the lost leaders are, <laughs> they hurt, but you know, again, like, so our conference, right? We're, we're on our second conference. The first conference lost money. The second conference is going to lose money. Um, but the amount of advertising it brings, the amount of uh, eyes that get to see it, the amount of impact that's get, that gets to be made through that conference then pays us much more later, you know, and yeah. I just recently saw uh, yesterday, I think it was somebody was saying, Hey, when you, when you're doing a conference, do you do it more for profit or for impact? Um, and hopefully it's for both, right? Otherwise you, you wouldn't be running a conference, but there's going to be times where you're doing something that you know is going to lose money today to make money yeah. tomorrow. So, you know, sure. and it's the same thing with, with, with our kids. Honestly, we know we're doing something that's not going to be great for the kids today, but in, in the future is going to pay massive dividends, you know? Um, and I think that we, it, we should always be paying attention to those types of things. You know, it feels like a lost leader, but make sure you're doing the right calculus to figure out if it is. So, sure. yeah. yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a risk. You know, yeah. I, t- I took a risk on this and, um, you know, I think to beyond anything, it was. It's important for my my team, my staff, to be able to see. They, you know, I I explained we're taking a risk on this. Like it could end up being a failure. At least it'll be, for the most part, paid for. You know, we're mm-hmm. not. It's not like we're investing a hundred thousand of our own dollars, but it's a risk. And watch, it's going to pay off. So I've gone to a couple events and do some biz dev, bring some people over, run them through the whole setup. Um, and the the point is for especially for my biz dev team to show them that like sometimes we take risks like this and it's yeah. going to turn into half a million in revenue next year. Yeah, that's awesome. So what uh, what kind of plans do you have in the future for your uh, your children, if anything, for your, for your at the moment <laughs> child potentially future children uh, <laughs> as far as involvement in business? Have you given that any thought at all, like involving uh, involving your daughter in the business or uh, how you want to expose her to business or what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to do this forever. So, the, yeah. so what I do now, kind of, I, to be transparent, I didn't really want to do again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the service-based industry for what I do in marketing is exhausting. It's yeah. a lot of work. Um, and just now, thankfully, I have the team that's allowing me to take a little bit more space. Like I'm going to take tomorrow off and just hang out with my family. Um, but it's it's not something that I wanted to do, right? So. As of right now, it's it's fun. It's a lot of work. It's fun, um, but uh, it's a vehicle to get to to where I want to be. Not from a from a revenue perspective, I guess a little bit, but more so from like a process acumen. Like, what am I building to be able to understand how I need to to get to where I want to be? But mm-hmm. um, no, I you know we have some real estate, and um, we're planning on. Um, basically building some additional businesses um, and buying some businesses and whatnot yeah. and growing them, whether it's flipping or holding and growing. So I definitely want my daughter involved in that stuff. And I think if she's as smart when she's older as she is now, she's going to be massively smarter than me. She <laughs> continues to impress me every day. 
but yeah, I think in the next, you know, three years, um, ideally my family, my wife included kind of operates as our own kind of managing, mm-hmm. uh, operation over several different businesses. Awesome. Um, ideally. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And then, I mean, you can even, uh, employ your daughter, pay her, pay her a salary that becomes mm-hmm. a deduction for your business and yes. put an IRA together for her and, but there's a lot of really, really cool things to be able to do with, with the kiddos. So I, I love the thought process there. Of um, So I've been wanting to buy businesses. <clears throat> one of the one the abundance event that I went to, I don't know, three years ago, something like that. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember her name right now. Um, uh, she's big into buying businesses. Uh, she's all over. I, I can't remember her name right now. But anyways. Yeah. Um, so she she was speaking there about buying a bunch of businesses. And I, I then went and read Buy Then Build. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've read that, but phenomenal book. I haven't, but I need to. It, yeah, for sure. Especially if you're wanting to go buy some businesses, but uh, but you've already built businesses, right. so you you kind of have uh, have the building part down too. But um, I've been really wanting to go buy businesses. I've just been so focused on real estate. So, um, what kind of businesses are you thinking about buying? What like interests you? Are you like <laughs> sure. do you want to stay in this type of market or go somewhere else type of businesses? Or what are you thinking? So, so one of the first things. What I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to buy a warehouse in Nashville mm-hmm. and m- that will house my agency offices. Um, first of all, I am fully uh, remote. My, my mindset is everybody work remote. You can work in an office if you want to. I'm never going to make you work in an office. However, the caveat with that is I hire with that in mind, right? I would never go from everybody working in an office to all of a sudden everybody working remote. That doesn't yeah. work. So most proponents uh, of of um, remote work, you know, I think they align with that. And then opponents, like that's the main thing that they call out is pe- not everybody can work well remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people can't. Like that's great, and we know that. And if you know that, don't hire that person, yeah. right? Or yeah. you know, make make appropriate changes with that in mind. So um, the goal would be that would be um, the office. I hopefully segment that out, have one tenant. And then also I want to host some uh, automotive, like cultural events and stuff. Nashville is massive in automotive. It's crazy. It's crazy how big it is there. In fact, I saw an article um, from Lamborghini that the new Lamborghini dealership they opened in Nashville is supposedly one of the largest in the world. I'm like, that's that's insane just because of the amount of business that's there. Um, So that's kind of like my low hanging fruit. That's what I'm trying to accomplish in the next couple of months is buy that warehouse and kind of work to expand that. Mm -hmm. Also, because when the touring vans come back from tour, they're all just parking at my house and on top of all the other vehicles (laughs) we have there, my wife's about to kill me. Uh uh Um, So from there, then it's a lot of um, like more autonomous businesses, car washes, laundromat, little, little, it's no secret, right? Like we all are aware of what does well and what doesn't do well. Um, then, you know, ideally some, some smaller businesses that just need operational support, better processes and stuff that uh, buy and flip. However, instead of flipping, I'll probably just hang on to them, buy, improve, hold on to help operate, put operator in place, but from a high level Mm -hmm. forward perspective, low, low, you know, smaller businesses. I am looking at one or two acquisitions right now, marketing wise that I can bring into my fold. Little things like that. You know, I think I'm not trying to make any massive, huge moves, but I think that with a series of 10 to 20 small moves, then mm-hmm. on, on, when you look at the big picture over the next 10, 20 years, they're going to be pretty massive. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, those those service type 
businesses, you know, laundromats and things like that, you mentioned like they're never going away. Like everybody's no. going to need to clean their clothes, all this stuff. So those are the types of things that I was looking at doing too. And, you know, auto yeah. parts stores and things like that, just that, <clears throat> that people are always going to need um, uh, car washes. Those are, I mean, solid, solid choices. So I like it. Um, so what I love about, what I love about like laundromats, for example, speaking of getting creative, right? If you're buying a place, if you're buying a business, well, two, twofold, right? Like a laundromat, you know, whether it's real estate or business, one way or the other, you're going to get one or the other with it, right? Mm-hmm. You're buying the building, you get the laundromat, or you're buying the laundromat, getting the building, or renting it. Ideally, you get the building as yeah. well, so then you have real estate. But it's really fascinating to think about buying a business where people congregate and wait. Yeah. Right. Fascinating. Okay. What else can we do here? Yep. What vending machines can we have? And I know this isn't new, right? Like, but how creative can you get with that? Like, mm-hmm. do you have food machines? Do you have actually gaming machines? Do you have, depending on which state you're in, some form of, you know, I don't want to say the G word, not gambling, but, you know, some <laughs> sort of, you know, incentive based machine, right? Like, how can you continue to leverage that? Do you hire a food truck to come on the popular day Saturday mm-hmm. and you have a, a, a revenue split with them? Like there's just so many ways that you can get creative. Do you host events uh, at a laundromat? Like you could make a, you could have a car meet at a laundromat on Saturday and you could come up with this whole new concept and make it really cool. There's just, it's just, there are no rules. You know, you can do whatever you want. You can make it super unique. And, and if you're good at what you do and you're an operator, like most of us are that have developed successful businesses, you know, with the right due diligence and the right planning, I think we can really do some unique things with businesses that are quite aged concepts anyways, mm-hmm. right. That are older than time. Like how can we be unique about how we transform those going into the next 10, 20 years? Yeah. I would like that. I mean, it- it's similar to, have you read the book, Blue Ocean Strategy? Mm-hmm. Right, so that's another good book to, to it, it's talking about, you know, instead of dealing in the red waters where everybody's trying to fight and do stuff like what, what's the blue ocean where people aren't touching? Like there's, there's not really very many laundromats out there that have a food truck <laughs> hanging out in front of it. Right. Or that, you know, have, have, uh, you know, the ability to do like whatever, like if you're thinking outside yeah. of the box and doing things that other businesses are not doing rather than fighting for something create your own new thing. Like go, go out and find yeah. the customers that are swimming out in the blue ocean looking for, you know, or not even knowing that they're looking for something like give them something. What is it? Uh, um, the, not Tim cook, but the previous CEO the, um, of, of Apple, what the heck's his name? Jobs. Steve jobs. Thank you. I think he's the one who said that. Never heard that, of that I know. So that- <laughs> I'm struggling with names today, but, um, but he, he was saying uh, that it, his customers don't know what they actually want. He is telling them what they want. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like, what is it that we can do to tell our customers what they want and how can we open, open the aperture that they go, well, I had no idea that I wanted to have a computer in my hand to walk around with. And like, I had no idea that I wanted that, you know, yeah. and to think that we yeah. started at the iPod and that's how that, you know, how this all started. I had no idea that I wanted to walk around with a bunch of, you know, electric music. I'm, sure. Let's do totally. that. You know, I, I don't want to bring a CD player that, you know, finally got one with 10 second, uh, skip this or disc skip uh you know coverage yeah, but yeah. now all of a sudden i can have 500 fo- you know uh, songs right here so and i think it's fascinating too that if we apply that thought process to these antiquated mm-hmm. forms of business that still prove over and over again to be successful like how, how much bigger could you take could you double your For revenue sure. in a month could half your revenue come from something totally unrelated to a laundromat but mm-hmm. still adjacent you know affiliated with it at the at the business like 
I think the sky's the limit, you know, and I think that some people are pushing the envelope there, but some people, to be frank, right, like a laundromat typically is just a small part of a massive portfolio for a lot of people, a lot of investors. So it's like I would like to to laser focus by, you know, like I said, five, ten of these, whether it's a laundromat or car wash or anything like that, and just really kind of focus on squeezing every little bit of amount of revenue on it. But also... I think that the fact that I have built my business in the enthusiast, in the subculture mm-hmm. world, it's like, well, how can we create something out of it that people are going to want to be at? Not just, not dread having to go to a laundromat on a yeah. Saturday morning to do your laundry, but like they're, they're happy to, they're happy to bring their kids to it. Or, yeah. you know, I don't know. I just think there's a lot more that we have not, you know, scratched the surface of. That's really cool. I like the, I like the thought process. Um, so when you're uh, when you're looking at raising your kids um, to bring bring some more kid things in the yeah. uh, I I am kind of, that's one of the reasons that I'm I'm looking at the homeschool too like like growing up homeschool kids were always one of those like oh boy it's one of the homeschool mm. kids you know <laughs> uh, I could tell that kid's homeschooled right um, oh, which yeah. there's there's a, a tie to that that thought process and that feeling but um, you know we I've I've started to and especially in Cobana so there's a lot of families that put their kids into acting academies, right? It's a very different way of doing school, Um, you know, and, and I look at what I can do with, with the kids here and how I can, you know, bring them into the business a little bit more, help them understand, you know, I can, I can have their own finance classes in here. And, you know, if there's something I really suck at teaching, I can hire a a tutor to come over and and teach for, you know, a couple hours a week to, to get through the things. But um, are there things you're thinking about uh, now preparing for the future um, that said, okay, well, how can I be, um, uh, for lack of better terms, innovative in being, you know, a parent, you know, what kind of things am I, can I do to, to really, uh, set my child up for a different level of success or a different life than just following down the yellow totally. brick road. What are you, what are you totally, thinking there? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I really struggle with general education. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally have struggled, struggled with it <laughs> a lot in, in my, my past, um, even just from like a, well, certainly from a state funded uh, education, it's mm-hmm. the absolute bare minimum and just a complete travesty and disservice to, to kids around this, the country and the world. Um, but even from a private perspective, like there's just just exactly based on what we were just talking about being creative, like, is there a way to, you know, for a summer instead of having a kid in a French class at school, you do an immersion month, you know, overseas in France? south of france perhaps you hire a tutor for a, a month that maybe is also an, a, a nanny or somewhat you know and you are creative about how they learn that way and it doesn't even need to just be a foreign language is there you know archaeology that's something i was really obsessed with growing up can you mm-hmm. take a family vacation for a month to egypt right and like immerse them in different cultures and whatnot so absolutely do not see us sticking to any sort of like one form of education. I don't think that that's very reasonable with the expectation that, you know, all of us, right, are setting for our kids based uh, on not only following in our footsteps, but just exploding beyond that from um, a successful business person. Um, There's just, there's never been a better time, you know, even like, I would, I would never make her go to college as of right now. Anyways, she's one and a half, but like, the internet, like, yeah, how, by the time she is, any of our kids are 18, they're going to know so much more than you would ever even learn in a college, I'm yeah. sure, right? Just with all the stuff at our fingertips. So, yeah, I mean, she's starting 
So she'll be two in November. She's starting uh, Montessori Academy in October. Um, just because we're pretty fascinated with how that works. Like mm-hmm. we went to tour it, the one in Brentwood, Tennessee, which is close to where we live. And when we walked in, we could smell cooking and like, yeah, they're, they're cooking. They're making tortillas. I'm like, hold on a second. These, they're like a year and a half, two year old kids are making mm-hmm. tortillas. And like, yeah, they cook every day. I'm like, with like heat, like fire and like, you know, and like, yeah, burners. And I'm like, okay. Uh, that we'll sign up right now. Like yeah. perfect, you know, um, just the creativity that goes into it, you know? So I don't think that there's one, uh, path in my mind, like one perfect, you know, mm-hmm. type of schooling to get to where we would want Rylan as her name to be, you know, when she, you know, is an adult, you know, I think there's a, a myriad of it. And I do think immersions overseas and, doubling down on things that they're interested in and, you know, not forcing things and certainly not um, trying to put them inside of a box like most schooling does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and it's to go back, you had mentioned um, having trouble at school. I think I read in your thing that you got kicked out of school. Is that right? That is right. So, you know, I I think that you also have, I mean, you have a little bit of a rebellious spirit and you can already tell just, just chat with you. Right. So, um, did you think that that's that structure that it gave you or that it it tried to force upon you was part of the reason why you got kicked out that you're just, cause you're, you seem to have been, you know, pushing back on a lot of, uh, a lot of structure anyways, from, um, from a young age. So did that structure just kind of make you want to push away? And I'll start with that question. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I don't know. I can't tell you exactly why. I think that being involved with, you know, BMX and skateboarding and, you know, it it is, it was very much a anti-establishment subculture at that time. Right. So of course, like I was, you know, I was an angry youth for a little bit of that. And then, you know, I started to get a taste of, you know, entrepreneurship. And, you know, I just, when I, you know, it felt like when I had to go to school, it was just like a, a not a prison, but I was like wasting my time, mm-hmm. like wasting my time sitting in this class and, you know, learning about, uh, you know, Mesopotamia and like, you know, uh, trapezoids. I'm like, what? I don't even, this is not relevant to anything I want to do, you know, at that point anyways, little did I know, still not <laughs> to now, <laughs> but it didn't interest me at all. You know, and I was bored and you sit in these classes and then, you know, we had the, the block system, which was like two hours and 50 minutes in a class. I'm like, that's an mm-hmm. insane amount of time yeah, this- to ask a kid to sit in a classroom and focus, you know? And it's like, it's insane amount oh, of time to have just, me sit and sit down and focus. I can't yeah, imagine my son. Right, I can't do that now. Right. I could, what are we at? An hour and 33 minutes. I'm, luckily, this conversation is very engaging. But yeah. So, man. Um, yeah. I didn't like it. And, you know, I was, I pushed back a lot and I got, I got in quite a bit of trouble. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then some, <laughs> some legal, legal trouble as well um, for a dumb reason. And um, I was suspended. I think three or four times throughout middle school and high school. And then eventually I was expelled. And um, honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was, it was basically this box that I had been trying to, to, to fit into because everybody told me I needed to fit into it. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody around me, parents and society and friends and whatnot. And then, and then all of a sudden I was out of it, you know, and it kind of like felt like I was like floating in space for a minute. I'm like, Oh, 
I'm, I'm okay. Like everything's still okay. I'm not, yeah. I'm not in high school with my friends on a daily basis. And, you know, I think my mourning of my friends and that, that like ritual lasted like a day. And yeah. then I was like, okay, now what? Let me go snowboarding. Let me go, you know, ride a BMX. And, you know, I think I had mentioned that part of, we don't need to get into what it was, but part of my, I had to do, um, community service, mm-hmm. uh, 50 hours. And here's just another example of thinking outside of the box. I, so I spoke to my state represent my city representative, let's just say, uh, who was in charge of my, my vacation. And, um, <clears throat> they had, you know, given me a list of a bunch of different things I could do for community service. And one of them was I could go to the department of natural resources and, uh, rake up leaves. It was like fall, like rake leaves. Oh, well, whatever. I'll do that. Man, after like 30 minutes, I'm like, this is not for me. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Um, so then I think I did like an hour or two of that. And then I came back and I was like, what can I do for community service? You know what? What's a way I can get out of this? And the BMX track locally, which I helped found and build. And, you know, it was a huge part of my life. I just reached out to the whatever it was a supervision officer at the courthouse. Let's just call it what it was. And um, I'm like, well, the local BMX track, that's like a public thing, right? And people can go to it. So if I were able to like work on that track, I could count that towards my, my hours, community service hours. She was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, great. (laughs) So my friends and I, I already was going out there and like building jumps and working on it, you know? And like, so we just, I just did that more often. I just, we went out and worked on the jumps and we jumped and we raced and we had fun. And they asked me to like record my hours myself. I think that's funny. Makes life pretty easy at that point. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Turns out I had 50 hours done in like two weeks. Look at you. All right. Well, thanks for your contribution Uh to, you know, the local community and like, yeah, Yeah. perfect. Love it. I'm going to go back to the BMX track now. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go back now. I'm going to actually, you know, I'm actually going to do more community service Uh because I'm just that committed to this town. So anyway, it's just thinking outside of the box, but yeah, certainly uh, just, you know, it's, there's arbitrary. I think the one thing that really annoyed me was what had happened um, was, you know, no security concern, really like no danger, Mm -hmm. no fighting. It was in in whatever, what, what happened was in a normal situation would very easily be like, okay, don't do that again. You can come back to school. However, arbitrary rules and rule books and handbooks, Mm -hmm. you know, hundred percent, you know, you know, we don't no tolerance, whatever. So because of that, I had no choice but to be expelled. You know, they tried to get me to go to a hearing and I was like, why would I go to a hearing if it's mandatory? It's mandatory, right? They're like, yeah, it's mandatory. I'm like, I'm not going to the hearing. What the hell? Yeah. You just try to put me in front of a, a, bunch, a tribunal to tell me I did something wrong. So anyway, so after that, yeah, I was like, it was, it was like a, my, the spark just was ignited stronger than ever. Just felt so, you know, inspired and capable and kind of the, the world is my oyster. I just didn't know what I wanted to do mm-hmm. yet, you know? And, um, I would go on these BMX trips with friends and I would see these billboards everywhere. And I started to think like, that's so cool that you could like influence people to do something, to buy something, yeah. to be involved with something, or at least that's what they're trying to do. So 
I decided that I wanted to pursue uh, advertising. So I took my ACT. I was homeschooled a little bit. Mm-hmm. It didn't really work out for me, honestly. And then so I entered a GED program once I turned 18. And I remember I went to the class and they're like, yeah, it's going to be like a 12 week class. And you're going to, you know, you're taking, you're taking this placement test basically to determine what classes you need to get to your final test. And out of like 18 people, I took the placement test and they're like, oh no, you could just take the final test. Like you don't need to stay for for anything really. You take the final test like tomorrow or whatever. So I took the final test and I, you know, got my GED and then I took the ACTs and I did reasonably well on them. And then I somehow got into Columbia College. I think at the time they had like a year or two it was like open enrollment. So like you didn't really like have to have like a high school mm-hmm. or anything. So I got in there and I moved to Chicago and moving to Chicago, you know, was in the city in the South Loop. You know, I, my first time living away from home, I'm in a high rise and in the South Loop of Chicago, like with a bunch of roommates, like just went out, rode my bike around the city and got introduced to homeless people and, you know, the, the public transportation, everything, yeah. the inner workings of a city. And man, from there, it was just like, the spark is just exploded. Like I was just like, I couldn't sleep. I was just so amped, nonstop amped. It was, and at the time I didn't, I didn't, I was straight. I didn't drink or smoke or anything. Mm-hmm. So my full focus was just on living. And I just remember, and I would go to, Chicago, I was really into hardcore music. Uh, I would go to like shows every night by myself and just explore and go, you know, riding Chicago's my bike a great before, spot for music you know? too. Oh. So yeah, especially was, in those days. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. It was just really an awesome, awesome time. And that is really kind of like the root of the fire inside of me was created over that like five year period. No wonder you want that for your, for your kiddo to kind of like travel around and go spend a month here or go do this and go to the Montessori school and do all that and stay completely away from the public school structure and all oh, that. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's not Absolutely a wonder. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had yeah zero I desire. Just... So when I grew up, I was public school and my wife was private school. And then when we got married, I was like, no, like, I think public school really prepared me well for coming into the real life. Like, I mean, I was, I had already been exposed to pretty much anything you can be exposed to, um, you know, uh, and I was like, you, you know, I was not like, especially going to the military, I was like, I was not sheltered from anything. So now, you know, I know what the real world is like, and then I have kids and I'm like, absolutely not, especially the way public schools have been turning nowadays. Um, I just can't, there's, there's no way I would be able to justify sending my kid to a public school at this point in my, uh, in my yeah. life. Um, uh, but now, I mean, even more, you know, the private school's great too, but there's still such like regimented structure that's involved. I mean, yes, that's, I, I get a little bit more involvement. I get a little bit more interaction with the, you know, the teachers and the, the leadership of the school and whatnot. But man, oh man, I want to impact my kids so much more than just, you know, sending them to a school for six, seven hours a day and then coming home and helping them with homework. You know, it just doesn't doesn't appeal to me. I want that adventure, that those that travel that, I mean, how much how much cooler would it be to have a World War II class um, talking about D-Day than to go over to Europe and go see the, like, I mean, what the heck? Totally. Some of my best experiences totally. have been traveling and then, you know, so I want to expose them as much as humanly possible to that. So, um, absolutely. The heck with structure. There's no need for that nonsense, you know? Um, there's no there's, structure in the real world. Not. Like, you could go out and do it, especially when you're talking That's... about business, operating businesses, so... Yeah, I would I would love for the the theme of this this conversation, the takeaway to be that, you know, rules and guidelines, et cetera, are just, you know, they're do they matter? Some do, some don't, yeah. but it's up to us, in my opinion, it's up to us to determine that, right? I have to yeah. I, from a law perspective, sorry in advance, <laughs> but you know, it's like, well, does that make sense? No? All right, well then 
you know, probably not going to just follow something arbitrary for no yeah. reason, personally. Yeah, I I try to get my kids to ask why as much as possible, right? There's got to be a reason yeah. why to to do anything. So, um, I, I don't, love it. I don't I want that. arbitrary nonsense to go on. You know, it's the same thing with with a with the teacher. If the teacher wants them to do something, can you can you help me understand why that is? Because I'm big on the on the why side of the house. If it's a yeah, waste of time, yeah. like I mean, and this was not exactly great for a military guy, right? They don't typically like <laughs> you to ask why an awful lot. And it took yeah. me a while to build that up to understand what it was. I was a lot of a, a, yeah. a yes sir type of person, yes sir no sir type of person. Uh, but then as I, you know, uh, went up the ranks and did various different things, I was like, that's stupid. Can we go over why <laughs> we're doing that? Because that doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, exactly. And most of the time it was just, again, because, well, that's, that's the way we've always done it. The rank says. And I said, yeah, but we have the ability to change that. So why don't we? You totally. know? So, man. Anyways, I, Man, I think too, like when I was in, sorry to cut you off, no. when I was in, uh, you know, roles like corporate roles mm-hmm. or the, the valet job, you know, a lot of times my advancement was based on asking questions or like when I was at, um, the large wheel company, you know, I was just, I was working on one of their divisions and I was like talking to a couple of the guys about like when the last time they were, you know, had a review or, uh, someone's complaining about pay. I'm like, when was your your last review, promotion, pay raise? Oh, we we don't get reviews here. So I went to the boss. I'm like, why why aren't you doing reviews for these guys? Because some of them could use some. You know, like, mm-hmm. they're not doing yeah. that great. You know, and he's like, well, you know, a lot of these guys are my buddies. Like, I just, you know, I, I feel weird reviewing. I'm not going to give them reviews. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to come up with performance objectives. I was it wasn't my job at the time. Like, yeah. I'm going to come up with these, and we're going to distribute them. We're going to get everybody to fill them out and we're going to start having reviews. And then within like a week, that's when I was promoted to like managing everybody because that's, that's the directive, you know? So yeah, same thing. It's like, why are you doing, why aren't you doing it this way? Why are you doing it this Mm -hmm. way? Like, is that really where you want to go? I've been pretty fortunate that it's worked out for me in my favor because of course, like sometimes you do that and you know, the, the the nail that sticks out is the one that gets the hammer, but you know, I, that's fine. I would rather be let go than to yeah. just be quiet yeah. right, and not say anything about something I believe in. Yep. I completely agree. And it's become more and more part of who I am now as, I, as I'm growing up. And it's more, you know, I'd, I'd much rather say something <laughs> and tell the truth and try to figure something out than to just hold it back and not, you know, what's... <laughs> I would much rather feel the pain of doing the right thing and saying what I think is right than feel the pain of ignoring a problem that I know could be fixed. Right. So it's like I, I both may cause pain. One is guaranteed to cause pain and the other one only maybe causes pain. So or it may cause a lot of pleasure and fix yeah. a lot of problems. So um, I'm all about well, especially it. Especially so when it's related to your livelihood mm-hmm. or a family member like, yeah. your, you know, your fam- your kids or whatever. It's like if it's related to my business or my kids or my wife or my family and you're telling me that this I don't want to say arbitrary again, but yeah, this rule, this 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 process exists and you mm-hmm. don't know why just because it's always been that way and it could be way better. Instantly, I'm going to trust you less. I'm not going to be as bought into everything else you have to say if that's, you know, if you're talking about an education institution, right? Mm hmm. If this is the way you've always done it, you don't know why, but this is the way we're going to keep doing it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's not right for me and my yeah. family. Yeah. Or, may, or maybe it's a vaccine or maybe it's, you know, any number of things that we have to ask questions about. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, now that YouTube just canceled me, um, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> 
All right. Well, AJ, it has been an absolute pleasure to get to know you. Uh, You know, like I said, you know, like we were mentioned, I I never met you before yet. I'm looking forward to hopefully meeting you in person someday in the near future. If you're going up to Vermont, I'll be up there um, in the winter. If you go to the winter event, but um, we'll do some snowboarding because it sounds like that's something you like to do. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, thank you so much for jumping on. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to get to know you, learn a little bit about the businesses. Um, I look forward to uh, maybe having a a a 2.0 conversation when the when you're uh, when Ryan gets a little bit older and um you know the businesses are are, are getting purchased and kind of well, where are they now type of show um but <laughs> I, I really look forward to uh, again chatting some chatting some more in person so thank you so very yeah, much for coming for on sure. if people want to get a hold of you how uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and uh you know follow you or whatever sure yeah uh email is aj at wildlivesmedia.com uh otherwise on instagram i'm at hello.aj so pretty pretty simple and then uh, my business is on Instagram at Wild Lives Media. Awesome. All right. Well, hopefully uh, some people, um, one of the three people that listen to my podcast will uh, reach <laughs> out to you. Uh, but, uh, but no, again, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Enjoy your time uh, in, in Florida with the family. And uh, if there's ever anything I could do to help support you, let me know. And uh, other than that, Appreciate it's it. been a pleasure. Cool. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate thank you. your time. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Biz Dad Podcast. We hope you found some value in your time here with us, and we look forward to bringing you the next episode. If you've enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share so you and your friends won't miss our upcoming episodes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Rumble, where we continue these discussions and share more valuable content. Be the dad you know you need to be and run your business in a way you're proud to share with your kids. Keep crushing it.